0: Good morning, Renewal. Good morning, y'all. It's good to be here this morning. So, I grew up in St. Louis, inner city of St. Louis, in the hood, y'all. There's only two sports that really matter, football and basketball. And if you're a black little boy, you got to be good at both of them, okay? Um, So, in sixth grade, they started this desegregation program. In fifth grade, I got transferred out to the county. I got shipped to an amazing school, and they had sixth grade trials, y'all. And I'm like, it's game time. Football, I played Pee-wee football, so I was like a natural football player. Like, I was really good. It was, it was just a natural thing. It was in my family. Basketball, it was like, man, more of a desire. I love Allen Iverson. I love Michael Jordan, y'all. I had every Kobe jersey. Like, I was that dude. I love the game, but I was questionable about playing the game, you know. But sixth grade, it was like, man, man, this is my opportunity to become a basketball player. I'm going to make the team, y'all. So, I go, I go talking to my grandma, and she had a little conversation with me before I transferred out into the, to the county schools, um, the suburban schools, so what um, we call them in, and she said, hey, Tony, the way that you dress, you will become the people who dress like that, okay? You know, it's like, so, so that, that was just a conversation. Grandma, she was just real 100 with me, man. My grandma was the lady who had a beer on the, the porch with the gun next to her. She was just honest. She was just like, hey, Tony, <laughs> if you dress like a thug, you will become a thug, Tony. So, um... But in 1999, y'all, every little black kid in St. Louis had this outfit, y'all, and it consisted of three things. And I just want to show y'all, man, I know we got a little generation gap for some of y'all, some culture <laughs> gaps and all this stuff. But first, you gotta have that tall white tee, y'all. I mean, like, it gotta be clean, tall white tee. And it was, it was like, not a big shirt. We're not talking about a big shirt here. We're talking about, it was a specialized tall white tee. Like, like, it's longer than when your hand goes down. You know, ladies supposed to check if you're dressed long enough? Like, your tall white t-shirt go down that long, you know? No pit stains more got to be clean. You got to catch up stain, throw it away, okay? Like, that's, that's part of the wardrobe. And then, baggy pants is the reason that she was actually having this conversation with me. It's like, man, Tony, you got to pull up your pants but it's hard to pull up your pants when you had these type of pants right here, y'all. Jabos, like, like dude, Jabos was the real deal, man. Like, like, like every, that was, that was like the pants to have, but it was like grown man pants for boys, you know what I mean? Like guaranteed, I don't even think they made small. It just like started like 36. Um, so, Jabol pants was crucial. And then, this is important, give me two pair. That's what I'm saying, y'all. Them Air Force Ones, y'all, man. It's like, man, hey, the St. Luditics, man, Nelly and them, they made these shoes famous, y'all. But in St. Louis, you had to have pearly white Air Force Ones, you know what i mean? You throwing them away when somebody scuff them or you ready to fight them because you gotta buy another pair, man. You gotta have the pearly white shoes, the clean white long tee, and the baggiest pants known to mankind, y'all, man. That was like the fit I used to roll with. So my grandma gave me the pep talk, said, hey, you're going out to the suburbs, you got to think about how you dress. You got to dress, you will become like those you dress like. You dress like a thug, Tony, <laughs> you're better than that, okay? I was like, cool, girl, I got you. A light went off in of my head. I want to be a basketball player, so I changed my wardrobe, y'all. <laughs> I grew up my hair, I got braids, out all cornrows, like I was that dude, man. And then I only wore jerseys then. I was like, dude, you dress like person you personally become, wearing jerseys. <laughs> I bought Michael Jordan shoes, forget Air Force Ones now. And that was me from sixth grade all the way up to um, graduation, y'all. But I show up to tryouts, and dude, you're doing the layup drills, you know? Whoo, you're doing, the, you're doing, the, you're doing the, the three-point drills, you know, getting it. I literally made it through trials, y'all, and I didn't make one shot. Like literally, not one shot. But I was the most athletic dude on the, like, on the team, like hands down. Like, the, were nobody faster than me. Nobody played better defense than me. Like, I was a shut down defender. I worked harder than everybody, but I didn't make one shot. So I go back. So it's three days to find out if you get the results, and dude, I'm stressing out like, dude, I'm the black dude from the hood that's not gonna make the team in the suburbs. <laughs> like, this is embarrassing to mankind right here. And then I got the results, y'all. They show up on a little locker room, got the names on there. I made the team, y'all, man. It was like the proudest moment of my doggone middle school career, y'all. The proudest moment. We showed the practice the next day, and this one stuff get real, y'all. This one stuff get real. So we have practice, we're doing our layups, we're doing our three-point shots, just the normal drills. And at the end of practice, coach always wanted to do a drill. And the drill was just a scrimmage. Five on five, team versus team. Okay, it's cool. This is my moment. Because at the last tryouts, I ain't make one shot. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not convinced coach really think I'm good, but I got to prove it right now. This is my opportunity. First practice, five on five, team against team. And it's 10 to 10. 30 seconds left on the clock, the other team's going to get the ball, and this dude, White Mike, y'all, White Mike, man, he wet, y'all, man. Every time he take a shot, man, he making it, y'all, man. So I know in my mind I'm the defender of the team that, dude, I got to stop White Mike. So I switch it up, say, hey, y'all, I got White Mike. Y'all know I can't shoot, but I can stop White Mike. <laughs> it is what it is. I got him, y'all. So we get up there, Three seconds left on the clock, basically. White Mike goes up for the three. I'm running as fast as I can, y'all, man. Like, oh, my gosh, my life is on the line. I'm running. I jump up, and then White Mike released the ball. No hope for me. But I'm a natural football player, so I tackle White Mike, y'all. laid him out. <laughs> he makes the shot. And this changed my basketball career forever, these next moments. White Mike get up. He looks me directly in my eyes and says, dude, you suck. What are you doing? And I'm like, I was like, I guess, like, man, you know, it's cool. I bring it together and I say, hey, hey, you must suck too, because we both made the same team. <laughs> he looked me in my soul, y'all. He looked me in my soul and said, this right here I ain't never tried for another basketball team. He said, Are you freaking serious? There's only 14 people on the team and there was 15 spots. Everybody made the team. You suck, Tony. And like, like, I wanted to cry because (laughs) I never thought of that. Coach accepted everybody that tried out because there was was 15 spots, 14 people was on the team. And I was like, oh my gosh. At that moment, I realized it wasn't about my performance, which I I knew was kind of questionable. At that moment, it, it wasn't about the black dude from the hood that maybe had potential if somebody taught him, you know? At that moment, I realized, it wasn't about anything I did. It was just enough spots and everybody was invited. It broke my heart, y'all. <laughs> and that's what the sermon is about today. That the church is for everyone, y'all. Amen. There's always a spot for you in the room. And when we think about God's team, it's not about your performance. It's not about your race. It's not about your background. It's not even really about your belief, to be honest. Because we don't even believe the same thing if we don't really sit at the dinner table. It's about the fact that, man, he wants you on the team. And it's as simple as that. So I'm going to pray as in, an and we're going to go uh, to the word of God. Dear God, we just come to you today. That God, as we open up your word, as we seek you, God, I pray that you speak to myself, and I pray that you speak through me. And God, I pray that every heart in here is drawn closer to you. God, let us realize that, man, it was nothing that we did to deserve to be a part of this church. And God, let us realize that, man, that now that we're part of the church, God, you have a desire to bring others into it, and let us play our role. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I'm gonna to be teaching from Acts 9. So flip to your Bible, get out your tablets. And when you get it, go on ahead and stand up for those who are able. So Acts 9. We've been going through the book of Acts from one on through the end, and we're in nine right now. So um, we're gonna read nine to 18. This is the word of God, Acts 9, one through 18. But Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, He was without sight and neither ate or drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Jude, looking for a man in Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings. And the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name and Ananias departed and entered the house and laid his hands on him he said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight this Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of God, Acts 9, 1 through 18. You guys may take a seat. I'm going to pray again. Dear God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this scripture. We thank you for this love letter. And God, we just thank you for a glimpse into the past of your redeeming love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I'm a simple guy. So, I broke this down into an acronym. The church is for everybody. You can hashtag that if you want to. So the E stands for evil people. Sad, I guess. Vulnerable people for the V. Emotional people, religious people, you, and one more. I'm going to take the acronym. I'm going to walk through the passage verse by verse, connecting the dots, I'm proving to y'all that the church is for everybody. Uh, and it's a little messed up, little family, but beautiful. Let's all get up. So first, let's take a look at evil people. Verse 1 through 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for a letter. I was looking up the definition of evil. You think of evil, you think of like, like man, they kind of messed up. But evil, at the simplest form, is wicked, bad, wrong, immoral, sinful. I mean, like, and I started thinking about like, dang, I'm an evil person based off the definition. And I was like, man, that's kind of, like, I knew I was like evil before Christ. But like, like, y'all, uh, being an, being in Chicago, I, I can see it staring up a lot, though. Like, like I'm, I'm gonna be honest. Can, it, can I be honest, like, like it's safe, man. I know Pastor D out, and, and he kinda like, you know, holy, holy, but I'm, I'm just a sinful dude, y'all, man. Every time, I mean, it happened every day I drive in Chicago. It, it's, not, it's not the people, how they drive. Like, I'm cool with that, I'm cool with that. It, it's like, it's the red lights, y'all. It's the red lights. Like, I'm so serious is when I'm at a red light and I'm the first one at the light, every time I feel that evil just stirring up in me, y'all, man. Because once that person blow their horn, y'all, like like, like I'm serious, y'all, like I have like evil thoughts, y'all, like this is, like messed up. Like I never think about killing people until that moment, y'all, like like, like I'm so serious, I'm, this is confession time. It's just something about blowing your horn at me. And like I'm, I'm to the point now that I'm in Chicago, it's been two years, I'm focused. I'm, I'm what is it, 10 and two, I'm ready to go looking at the light, that mug say tick, and then you beep. It's like, it's like, dude, I gotta, I gotta put my foot on the gas. It, it do something to me though, like, it, and a lot of, half of the times, not a lot, half of the times, I tend to wait. <laughs> I tend to even wait long, until the last second, then I go, and that's messed up, y'all, man. Hopefully, ain't none of y'all behind me, but don't, like, it just, it just stirs something up to me. It's like, man, I'm just a wicked person. Even in Chicago, at the like, and it's bad, man. Whenever, whenever that mug I get to the left on the first, and it's like, dang, I'm about to be tested, God. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I'm on the stage talking to y'all, man, and do something as simple like that, stir up the evil inside of me. I think about the history. I think about a guy like Hitler, that killed over six million Jews. It's like, man, how is that even possible? Six million Jews. And that's just the estimate. It's probably more or less, I don't, I don't know, but that's the, that's the data that we see. It's like, man, when we think about history, a guy like Hitler, who actually would say that he was doing it for God, killed six million people. I mean, it's actually more people, but six million Jews? Like, that's, that's crazy to really think. But hey, Tony, that's too far away. That's too far away to really think about. I was reading um, some, some news. Let me take a look in Kentucky. It's my boy, um, what's his name, what's his name? White dude, show up to a church last month, and he said, today I'm gonna kill me some black people. He go up to a church in Kentucky, Baptist church, knocking on the door, trying to get in. And lucky it was one of the black church to get out early because there wasn't nobody there. So he's like, dang, I got to kill some people. He go up. He pull up to Walmart. He see two old black people and just shoot them and kill them. That dude messed up. That's evil as all get out. I mean, like crazy. He finna just go kill some Christian people. Like, evil. And I was like, man. So if Hitler walked in, and my dude walked in, um, his name was Bush, Mr. Bush. If he walked in his room right now, would I really welcome him open-handedly? I ain't too convinced of that, being a black man. Nazi ain't really been too fond of black people either. And then, old dude been trying to kill black people last month, so I ain't gonna be like, hey, come on in, let's hear about Jesus. You know, it's like, in my heart. But man, that's not how God responded. Because when we look at this verse, we say, but saw still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul literally was an example of, I mean, like, I guess Hitler was an example of Paul. And God welcomed into the church. Like Hitler, he was an example of Paul. That's crazy. He thought it was God's will. He, he was convinced that he was doing something good for God and he was killing people. But God pursued. Paul, I guess, saw at the time, and then became Paul. My whole point of looking at this is for us to understand that the person who impacted my life more than anybody, is apostle Paul, I mean, you're talking about 13 books of the Bible, about 33% of the New Testament was written by a dude that was a murderer and killed people just like me and you. If he didn't get converted and me and you was walking in Damascus right before God revealed to him who he was, he would have took us out took us to jail and captured us. But God did something about that, but we gotta always remember the church is full of evil people, y'all. Vulnerable would be the next. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone upon him. I think about, I'm just walking. And he got a posse with him, because they locking up people. It ain't just like, he just got like a cage with him, just throwing people in there. He got a posse of people who's following him, and a light just shined upon him, and God revealed himself to him. And dude, it broke him down. I think about, man, I'm not an emotional person, I'm not, but I think about the time that, that God revealed himself to me. Man, I fell to my knees. I think about um, Isaiah. When you, when you see the Lord for who he is, say, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Uh, I become vulnerable. I become weak, and I become exposed, and that's what we see with Paul. He falls to his knees, and the next thing that happens is probably what what I like the most. The emotional breakdown that he has in the church is for emotional people, evil, vulnerable, emotional people. I'm not an emotional guy, y'all, man. I probably ain't cried in about 20 years. I'm not bragging about that. I think it's gonna happen pretty soon, because I've been watching a lot of This Is Us and a million little things. <laughs> like, my wife, I think she's trying to get it out of me. She was expecting me to cry at the wedding. And uh, it just, I ain't had nothing. I felt it inside, I guess. But but This Is Us and a million little things might get me any week, y'all, man. So uh, keep me updated. Doing the church little introduction. Hey, did you cry this week? Because hey, it might happen any day. But in the last 20 years, I, I ain't really, I ain't cried. Like, I don't even know if I leak tears, you know. And... When I think about one of the emotional moments I had, my freshman year, I went to this conference, and dude, I heard for five days that God loved me. I heard for five days that it wasn't any reason that, that he actually should love me other than the fact that he loved me. And I remember crying out to God in the shower. Taking that not crying, but you get the emotional crying out to God in the shower, man, that dude, if you love me, dude, man, I want, I want this relationship. And the crazy thing is, I, I, I tell people all the time, you may have heard this, Probably like my biggest insecurity, probably yours too. I said, man, people really wouldn't accept me for who I truly am. I ain't worried about people not accepting me for my external things. It's more so like my, my internal, like my past and the things that you don't know about me, like my thoughts that I didn't have. So if I hear Ask Chris to just hit play, and it was just a play like all the sins in my life, all the thoughts in my life, all the things that I did, I do every last. Our suckers would get out of here and leave. Like I know y'all, well, it ain't no way. It ain't no way. That, if you seen the way that I, I treated women back in the day, if you seen the lies that i told, the thoughts that i had at those red lights, like, dude, it ain't no way that you would stay here and, and listen to anything else I have to say. But God, he's seen all of that. And that night, man, when I realized that, man, God loved me, I realized that if he is God and he know all things, he loved me for exactly who I am and it blew my mind. And I see this happening with Paul right here, and it's pretty cool. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I know pastors tell us over and over when you see in the Bible that it's repeating, Saul, Saul, Peter, Peter, Mary, Mary, it's it's emphasizing something. And Saul, Saul, is like a, it's an intimate request from him, you know? He he didn't say like, hey Saul, why you killing my people? It's like Saul, Saul. And I know that did something to Saul, y'all. Like, he knew what was going on. I was like, if there is a guy, and if I've been living wrong, and these are his people, I'm not expecting him to come with me with no saw-saw. Like, he was speaking to him on an intimate and personal level. And then, that's cool. Saul like, hey, who are you, Lord? And God goes to another level. He reveals himself to him. I am Jesus. Like, God is literally pursuing us on an intimate and personal level. He came in graciously saw saw. And then he came in telling them exactly who he was. Man, I am Jesus. Um, I love how, how God is so intertwined in our life, but also, man, he's, 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 he's sovereign too. Um, he played a role. And the, and the cool thing, I even thinking about my salvation story, it wasn't on my time. Like, somebody paid for me to go to this conference. Somebody, somebody recruited me to this conference. Um, I hated the first five days of the conference, but God had the right speaker there to speak to my heart. Uh, and even had a shower for me to even talk to him in some privacy. You know, it's like, like God was—he was all in this—and just like every last one of y'all salvation story, man, God was all in it uh, on an intimate and personal level, which is crazy. So, um, but the church is for religious people. I'm gonna take a look at somebody else other than Saul in this picture. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. When you hear my story, I grew up in a household where my mother actually was a drug addict. One night, she went to some church and came back, and her life was changed forever. So I would tell people that, man, I grew up in a household that a miracle—it really, She had a salt-like experience. She never went to rehab. She, she instantly changed. She became like this prayer warrior, y'all. Like, like she prayed for us every day. One thing about it, I don't get it about my mama, like, I don't think she understands. Like, God can literally hear anything. Like, I pray in silence a lot. Like, my mama pray out loud. You know what I'm about? like? Like, people in the 50-mile radius hear her praying because I think she don't understand that God can hear everything, you know what I mean? Like, she's that lady. She transformed. She became a prayer warrior. Life changed. And from eight to 18, I went to church every Sunday. I was in the household of a mother who truly did have an encounter with God, and my heart was far away from God. And that's what we see right here. The gospel was with saw. They seen the light, they heard the voice, but dude, they did not see Jesus Christ. Um, and some of the people in this room, the church is for people like that. The cool thing about it is these dudes actually, they went on a journey with Saul for godly reasons in a sense. You know, they thought they was doing the right thing for God, but they missed God. And I pray to God that you're not missing God in this room. But the church is for religious people. And I'm not just talking about religious Christian people. I'm saying the church is for Muslims. I'm saying Hindus and Jews and all those people who are trying to work their way to God and please God. So we're inviting everybody into the church. So if you're in this room and you haven't really identified with this personal connection with Jesus, continue to come back because the church is for you. And then, to double-click on the you, for those who are believers and truly have an encounter with Jesus Christ, I like Ananias a lot right here, y'all. Uh, the Lord said to him in a vision and a eyes and he said here i am lord <laughs> it's like like if my daddy called me from a number that's not on my own um, phone it was like hey tony <laughs> i'm not really gonna know who he is i grew up with my daddy you know it's like like it was just a random person my wife maybe if she just called me from a a, a pay phone it was like hey tony i'm gonna be like uh i'm gonna, I'm gonna second guess who it is on the line. This dude, Ananias, had an intimate connection with God on a consistent basis that when God spoke to him, he said, like, here I am. That's crazy right there. Like, like just, he said, like, Ananias, here I am, Lord. Like, no questions asked, no no hesitation. He had a personal relationship with the Lord. And man, I'm begging you to, to seek that, consistency, seeking the Lord, that you can have this relationship with Ananias. But the cool thing about this relationship, that it was an honest one. 13. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. So God tells Ananias, hey, go to your boy Saul, go heal him, go tell him about me, all that good stuff. He responds, hey, (laughs) just in case you didn't know, all-knowing God, my dude Saul out here killing people. I just want you to be aware of this. Like He he was honest with him. It was a a, a back-to-forth relationship. It didn't seem as if oh, God really had much to respond to that other than go. But I'm challenging y'all to have that relationship with God where you're going back and forth with him, that you, you're conversating with him, you're consistently seeking him, that you're never ceasing in prayer. Uh, because this relationship right here was a relationship that changed the world. Like his relationship with God was just an overflow of going to one of the men that literally probably changed more than anybody else after Christ. So... Listen, I heard the pastor say, hey, if I had an apple up here, you can tell me how many seeds are in the apple. I mean, like, we slice that mug open, we can count how many seeds in the apple. But, dude, only God knows how many apple trees and apples are going to be produced from that. We're talking about thousands to millions compared to ten seeds. And, dude, that's what we see through Ananias' life. And that's what I'm praying and I'm imagining from your life right there, that your relationship is so in tune with God that when he tells you to go, that you ask no questions, you have a conversation, and you get your butt up and you talk to your coworker, you get your butt up and you knock on your your um, your um condo roommate or person across the hall, uh, that you get your butt up and you talk to your classmate. Um, and if I be honest, like, I have not probably share the gospel with over 50 people in the last two months. That's what I do. I, mean, I get a check for it, I guess. Like, I love sharing the gospel. So I'm not expecting y'all to share the gospel with me, but but i punked out a lot of times, y'all. Like, I can get up and say, man, I should've got more than anybody in this room. Like, that's what I do. Like, personal one-on-one. I ain't talking about counting just standing up in front of people. But I punked out a lot in the last two months. But well, I know. There's the times where I was like, oh, shoot. No, nah, and walk away. I already shared it today. Um, I'm saying, man, we got to be people who fight against that. Because, man, only God can see how many apples and apple trees are produced from the fruit in your life. The Bible says, lest the grain of wheat falls into the ground and die. It remains alone. Um, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So um, I'm begging y'all that, man, that your life is a life that, that bears fruit. But you're going to die to yourself a lot, that comfort. So. But that one, so we're going to say one more. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is the chosen instrument of mine to, hear, to carry my word before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. My sanctified imagination, I really, I'm big on like... I can track my multiplication tree of people who led people to christ who who led people to christ and how it got to me like like i get geeked up about that i, I get geeked up with my family lineage and stuff like that um i can track it all the way back to dl moody which is pretty cool like the billy graham like like it's pretty cool but then i always think like man if i went up to paul we in heaven we chilling you know we worshiping god and i'm like hey paul who impacted your life more than anybody like like paul like, cause I, you impacted my life a lot, bro. Like, I know you've been gone for a long time, but I'm reading your letters and it getting to me. I feel like you connect with me more than anybody on this earth, you know? So who, who impacted your life more than anybody? Like, what human? I know God hits you with the light and everything, but what human? You know? And my sanctified imagination, I think he would put his hand on my shoulder, look me into my eye, and say, man, I killed him. I think he would say, man, I killed him. It was Stephen. You see that dude over there? I murdered him because he preached the word of God. And dude, after we killed him, man, it penetrated my heart. And I started thinking about these things and I started wrestling with it. God showed up on Damascus. Ananias came and healed me. But I think it was, was Stephen. And we talked about him last week. That, man, it was Stephen's blood that probably impacted me more than anything. And then I can see why Paul started to live his life like that. The dude, though. we going to keep reading. Boy, he got persecuted for real, locked up. Throwing out in the water, I mean, stone. Like, like, he had it pretty rough. But I think he understood from the life of the person who impacted his life the most, what it took to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. It took his life. Uh, he said, man, I chose to be an instrument, like, for God to change the world, which is so beautiful, y'all. So, I'm going to challenge y'all in the room. And if you truly haven't had that encounter with Jesus Christ, I'm going to close out and ask the, the band to come to the stage. But if you truly haven't had a relationship with God, keep coming to church. Keep exposing yourself to the Word of God. It's a love letter for you. Start reading it. God is telling you about, man, man, what He did for you, what He's doing for you, man, and what it's going to look like on the afterlife. But those in the room who truly are at home, follow Jesus Christ, man, it's going to take our blood, it's going to take our discomfort. It's going to take us dying to ourselves to, to go into the lives of those who are around us. And I, I, I'm a dude, I'm, I'm like, I'm all mission, y'all. Like, if you hang out with me, like, like I wanted to play uh, sometimes with the college students. I'll start a little timer. It's a little website that you can go to, put it on the screen, and say, start. And at the end of my sermon, it'll show how many people died and then percentage of how many of those went to hell. Like, I wanted to do that. I like, ah, boy, it might be too much for y'all. You know, like, but... I'd be like, man, man, I, I got to be in this game. I got to give my life away, man. There's 8 billion people in the world, man. How many people can I win for the Lord? And then I'd be like, but the crazy thing is, I ain't going to ever probably meet your coworker. Like, that's just the reality, yo. I ain't going to probably meet your coworker. Uh, the reality is, man, the family that you're going to Thanksgiving with, I probably will never meet. Like, like, The reality is that God has placed unique people in your life for you to be the person to take the gospel to them that if the body of Christ really did take ownership of God, the people who God put into their life, then everybody would get the gospel though. It's enough of us already. He changed the world with 12. So it's more than 12 Christians in this room. So um, it's not my responsibility to take the gospel to everybody, but it is my responsibility to take to everybody that God put into my my worldview, I guess. So um, I'm gonna close this in prayer and I appreciate y'all. Dear God, we just come to you today. God, we come to you, thanking you for being an amazing God that pursued every last one of us in an intimate and personal level. And God, I pray for those in this room that was invited and you're still continuing to pursue. I pray that they have that encounter with you, uh, whether it's lights or whether it's in the shower or whether, wherever it's at, God. God, I pray that you speak to them. I just pray that they're sense enough to hear. And God, for all those people that you put in our lives, co workers friends, family, and neighbors, God, I pray that you give us the strength to be bold and be like Stephen and be like Ananias and be like Paul. Who will give our life away for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.